The following is a hoop ball presentation. of Roundball Ramble, where we stand in awe at the great and mighty Kevin Durant, Easy Money Sniper, the Slim Reaper, the Servant, if you go by what he wanted to be called, whatever you want to go by, this Roundball Ramble episode is almost entirely dedicated to Mr. Durant, uh, we only had one game last night, and if you heard last episode, we talked about that, and it was the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks, and I asked who was going to step up aside from Kevin Durant, and I said it, and I'm, I'm not going to say I was the first person to say it, but I did go out and say it, you could check the Twitter, um, Twitter, well, I guess you could check the tweets on my timeline for proof, but I said, would this game be the Jeff Green game? Heck yeah, it was the Jeff Green game. In 34, 34 huge minutes, Uncle Jeff went and dropped 27, which is a playoff career high for him on just elite efficiency, 72% from the field to be exact, with another playoff high, 7 three, seven out of 8 from 3, 8 out of 11 overall, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 3 assists. He was the second guy that we talked about that Kevin Durant needed. And speaking of who Kevin Durant needed, honestly, for the most part, he was content with doing the Thanos. Fine, I'll do it myself. 49 points on 16 of 23. 4 out of 9 from 3. 13 out of 16 from the free throw line. 17 rebounds. 10 assists. What in goodness name is Kevin Durant? That's all I got to ask. The list of NBA players record 45 plus points, 15 plus rebounds, and 10 plus assists in a playoff game. We got Kevin Durant. And that's what we got. That's it. That's the list. That's all. That's it. Nobody else. Just one. KD. He dropped 31 of his 49 points in the second half. 20 points in the fourth quarter. Did I mention this dude played every single minute of this game? He played all 48, y'all. He played all 48 of this game. Completely unstoppable. Completely unstoppable. It was a sight to behold. Nobody could stick him. And I'm about to get to that for Milwaukee. Oh, I'm about to get to that in a second. But you put P.J. Tucker. He did his best. It didn't matter. You put um, Chris Middleton. He did it. It didn't matter. You went on switches. It didn't matter. You know who they didn't go to? You know who Coach Bo- Coach Budenholzer decided not to put on Giannis? Well, let's take a second there. We're going to go back to that. But, wow, what a game from KD. Easily played. I hate people going, oh, the best player on the planet is this guy. The best player on the planet last night was Kevin Durant. That is just a fact. To- there's just That's totally uh, objectional. There's nothing subjective about that. The best player on the planet last night was Kevin Durant. Getting help like he did from Jeff Green was huge. Getting the emotional boost from, yes, James Harden, who was not supposed to play. Remember, he was out of it, just completely out of it with his injury. Said he's going to try it on that hamstring. We, I didn't think it was a good idea. I tweeted, that's not smart. We, it, it, it felt heavy shades of um, Anthony Davis in game six of that Lakers game. Like, okay, he's going to play, but he really is in no shape for it. And mind you, if you look at the box score for James Harden, he, he didn't perform. He played like somebody playing on one leg, which he was. One of ten from the field, missed every one of the eight threes he attempted. He did have six rebounds and eight assists, five points in 45 huge minutes because he played. They leaned on him. They needed him out there just to be a threat. That's all he was good for, just the best decoy out there and bringing the ball up some um, in addition, you know, alongside Kem Durant, handling those point guard duties. But, wow, 
Blake Griffin was solid. Hit some um, big threes in the second half. Uh, part of that big uh, fourth quarter comeback for the Nets. Uh, he was 7-11 from the field. Three three-pointers, 17 points, three boards for him. Joe Harris did not have a good game. Him and Bruce Brown were just kind of bad out there entirely. They were 3 of 16 combined from the field. 1 of 8 from 3 together. Uh, just didn't have a whole lot there. But when you have guys like Jeff Green going off, when you have guys like Kevin Durant just being amazing, Landry Shaman came off the bench and made some big plays, knocked down a big three, hit a, a clutch uh, mid-range jump off a pick just in the middle of the floor. Uh, it was nice. It was nice. The performance you got from the Nets, and it didn't start that way, but it kind of rounded out to just enough alongside just a simply miraculous, stupendous, I can't come up with enough adjectives to describe the kind of game that Durant had, but he brought them home, and the fact that he got help was amazing, and again, we gotta go back to Jeff Green real quick, he had big games with LeBron too, Jeff Green's one of those guys that he's like, you know, just a a decent baseline player, defensively, I guess you could look for more, but he's 34 years old, like, come on now, he's doing the best he can in the role he's playing, but he can come out and shine with some stars, yo, he can have some games that just come in perfect, I keep thinking 2018 NBA Finals when LeBron James dropped 51 in that loss to the Warriors. The other guy that was really helping them, Jeff Green. Like, that's what he does. He just comes in and every once in a while just can give you that game. He was a plus 12. That actually led the Nets, even over Durant, in plus minus, which is just shows you how impactful Jeff Green's performance was because Durant did play all 48 minutes. Just saying, but wow. Just the Nets, man. I, that's I, I can wax more poetic about Durant, but I wouldn't do it justice, so I'm going to move on to Milwaukee, and when I go to Milwaukee, aye, 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 I mean, I guess you want to look at something that was positive, you have five players in double figures, led by Giannis with 34, 12 and 4, did it pretty efficiently, 63% from the field, knocked down two threes, now no more one of eight performances from him, it wasn't bad, you had 25 points from Chris Middleton, efficiency wasn't there, 8 of 22 from the field, 3 of 10 from 3, uh, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, he ended up taking more tough, difficult shots toward the closing, you know, periods of the 3rd and 4th, and it just looked ugly, and uh, the Nets, uh, I'm in the Bucks. I gotta get my head straight, we're gonna talk about this some more, but Drew Holiday, 19 points, 8 assists, 7 to 16 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, pretty productive there, uh, Pat Connaughton had 10 points off the bench, Brooke Lopez, 15 points, 6 rebounds, knocked down a couple threes. Where do we begin to pick the nits of the Milwaukee Bucks? Because this loss to me, yes, Brooklyn played amazing. Kev Durant put the team on his back. Jeff Green, others stepped up, played big. But Milwaukee had the 15-point lead. Milwaukee had the advantage through most of this. Milwaukee let it go. And I'm not even talking about the way they played defense on Durant. Because the way Durant was shooting that ball, nobody could stop him. And you didn't give yourself your full weapons to even do that. So this is where I was annoyed. First off, what is the Bucks' offensive plan? down the stretch of tight games. What is it? I wonder. Because all I saw was Giannis post-up. Giannis ISO. Chris Middleton ISO. Drew Holiday ISO. No off-ball movement. Nobody freeing anyone to go downhill. No screens to, to, to free up shooters. You didn't even take the biggest advantage you had in Brook Lopez and go posting him up. They just completely fell apart. The offense had no rhythm. There was no flow. It, 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 it went right into Brooklyn's hands. And yes, Brooklyn played you know, committed defense, but when you aren't moving at all as an offense, just several plays, just take a look at any play down the closing stretch of the third quarter, all the fourth quarter, and there is nothing there offensively for the Bucks, and not because Brooklyn wasn't creating anything or, or, or letting anything happen, but Milwaukee was like, nah, we don't really need to do this, it was ridiculous, it was annoying, Giannis taking a three-point with 19 seconds left on the clock in a three-point game, 19 seconds left in the shot clock, you could definitely work for a better shot, 
Just pull up three. What'd he miss? Wasn't even close. Off the side of the backboard to the far left. It was horrible. It was the shot selection that was ridiculous. And Giannis, down that stretch of the game, listen, his stat line looked solid. Efficiency was good around the board. But he looked shook, man. He looked shook. Especially as the game got down to the closing uh, minutes. It, it, it was... It was something else, yo. Literally, the clincher for the Nets was Chris Milton getting to the lane, leaving like a drop-off kind of dish pass to Giannis. And Giannis so scared that he's about to get fouled that he starts to move for the dunk before he has the ball in his hands. The ball just hops out because it was never fully in his control. Brooklyn regains possession. They make free throws, and it was all academic from there. Giannis, for the record, was 4-7 from the free throw line. But the fact that he did not look assertive taking his time was a problem. He got an offensive foul on Jeff Green. Or he, 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 he um, Jeff Green kind of go to him into offensive foul, charging headlong against a set defense. The Nets went to his own defense 2-3. It completely stymied Milwaukee. And to me, that's a problem because, okay, on the one hand, maybe the players aren't used to it at the time. The momentum shifted. That's definitely a thing. The crowd's getting into it. Kevin Durant's on fire. There's a lot of elements for a team to be disorganized, bamboozled, um, you know, dis, dis, disarrayed, whatever the case may be. But as a coaching staff, what is Mike Budenholzer doing? Because I am not a coach. I mean, you can clearly tell that. I am not that person. And even I saw what was going down. Even I'm like, come on. And I know it's so armchair quarterback, but come on, we're podcasters. That's sort of what we are anyway. And it was like, can you come up with anything to diversify your offense? Is there any other backup plan? You guys have been talking all year about how you wanted to make this year different than the other. So where is the proof? This is when the proof is in the pudding, right? The pudding did not come to the party. There was no pudding there. I did not get my chocolate pudding. I did not. That's my comparison. It was it was just ridiculous. They played right into Brooklyn's hands offensively. Defensively, Kevin Durant was on fire. Simple as that. Yeah, the Bucks made some some bad reads at times. You know, let some guys get open baseline for some nice dump off passes off of you know screens. Maybe Brook Lopez dropping off too deep again and again on Kevin Durant mid rangers was a problem. Um, and it happened one too many times for my liking before the Bucks decided to adjust. But for me, the question is this, and when it comes to your best player sticking the best player, whatever the case may be, this mono mono stuff, that's something that separates basketball from a lot of other sports. You know, you have football, you have Patrick Mahomes versus, um, I'm trying to think of his name now, um, just any good QB. I was thinking about the QB for the Ravens, so you, you help me out there. If I'm, You know, I'm just going to say it, there's only QB that came to mind. This horrible example, but Derek Carr. <laughs> Let's just say it's Derek Carr versus Patrick Mahomes, right? Oh, Lamar Jackson. That's what I was looking for. Okay, we're going to scrap the Derek Carr comparison. If we're going with Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes, we know that we're not actually seeing Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. Lamar's offense against the Chiefs set defense and the Ravens set defense against the glory of Patrick Mahomes. That's what we're getting. But in basketball, this is the one game where individual matchups can come into play. You know, 92 finals, Jordan versus Drexler. And it kind of happened. Jordan completely won the matchup, but it happened. 1995 Western Conference semifinals. No, Western Conference, yeah, I said it right. No, <laughs> 1995 Western Conference finals, David Robinson versus Akeem Olajuwon. That happened. This past year, Game 7. This year, Luka Doncic versus Kawhi Leonard. That happened in moments. Basketball is the one game where these individual exploits, this mano e mano, can somewhat be encouraged, even if it's not totally realistic. Because oftentimes it isn't. You know, 
It's not if you look back on old school LeBron versus KD, which is funny to say, but Cavs versus Warriors. You know, you had other guys on KD. You had LeBron kind of hiding on other players to preserve his energy, you know, maximize him for offense, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is two guys who played the same possession didn't guard each other that much. On the other hand, you know, the Cavs did so much switching that even though Kevin Durant was slotted on LeBron, he rarely was actually on LeBron. You know, it's just different things like that. That's the game. It's a lot more prevalent for switching, attacking mismatches, cross matches, all of that. So you don't get to see that often. And so... A lot of the, oh, just put this guy on, this guy's kind of overblown to me because it's not something that happens. I mean, you don't have Damian Little on Steph Curry a lot. You know, you have other guys on Steph Curry, Robert Covington or other players on Steph Curry, bigger wings, Norman Powell. And then you have, you know, Damian Little on one of the Warriors' weaker threats. You know, even someone like a Draymond Green, things like that. So it's not like you have these one-on-one, okay, you go, you go, like you did in the 80s with maybe Larry versus Magic, or you did in the 90s with Jordan versus X shooting guard because that happened. So I say all this with a grain of salt, but I say it anyways. The Bucks went through all of the available defenders they had for Kevin Durant, except for one Giannis Antetokounmpo. It didn't happen. When we saw it happen in the regular season, they were compelling matchups. Giannis throwing away Durant's shot. Durant getting tough looks over Giannis. Back and forth. Back and forth. It was the game where you go, okay, you know what? This is our best defender. He is on first team all defense, I might add. First team all defense for this year. You put him on the guy who is literally cooking your team from the inside out, and you see what happens. But no, you put Chris Middleton on him, who performed admirably but didn't work out. You put PJ Tucker on him, who did the same thing but didn't work out. You put Drew Holiday on him, who gives up size, and it didn't work out. So in my mind, Coach Bud did not make the adjustments, as he has not most of this series, to put the best defensive player on the best offensive player and see what happens. I could see if he tried it and didn't work, and it was like, okay, forget about it. But guess what? Durant was taking all comers. Come one, come all, get these buckets. That's what Durant was doing. And the fact that Coach Boonholzer did not put Giannis on him was something for me. I'm not really going on Giannis as much like Giannis should have demanded a matchup. In my mind, Giannis should have demanded a matchup. You think that Kawhi didn't demand a matchup on Luka? I'm sure Ty Lue tried to hide him. He did it for six games of the series, for the most part. But when it came time to get to the crunch of it, to get to, hey, we need to win this game, there's a pivotal game five that we are actually in control of on enemy territory. We can win this game, take this baby back home, and then probably run away. See what happens. You, in the closing minutes, as he is just killing people on route to 49, say, okay, you know what? I got this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my best, and if you get buckets on me, you did what you could. You cooked everybody. What can I say? But if you didn't, this is why I'm first team on defense. And yet that didn't happen, and that was stunning to me. After the game, Giannis talked it up a little bit, and he said, listen, you know, I want that challenge. If coach will let me have it, I'll take it. All the good stuff. But that should have been happening in timeout, third quarter. That's when that conversation should have happened, not post-game, game five. Middle of the game, middle of the action, demand the matchup, Make it happen. It didn't, and now the Bucks are down 3-2 heading back home. With a Brooklyn team that's encouraged. Yeah, they might lose next game. Yeah, they might not have a, a career-high performance in Jeff Green again. Yeah, they might not have Kevin Durant put together a 49-15 and 10 triple-double. You know, maybe role players shoot better, um, you know, from home for the Bucks. You know, guys step up, shots don't fall, things like that. But if they lose this game in the Bucks, I mean, I would put it at a 60-40 chance that they do. They're going to be looking back on this game. When Coach Boonehoser's hand is walking papers, he could really have been handed them at the closing minutes of this Game 5 in Brooklyn. Just a pathetic performance down the stretch, where to me, despite the great performance of Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets, the Bucks have very little to blame but themselves. Just, just sad. 
right, we actually got some general NBA news aside from the game of the night last night. Uh, the NBA finally did their top 15 players from the 2021 season uh, Tuesday. The 2020-2021 All-NBA teams were announced. Uh, LeBron James made the cut for the record 17th time. And let's kind of talk about these. So for first team, you have at guard, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. At forward, Kawhi Leonard, alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo. And at center, Nikola Jokic. First of all, I need to say I really am kind of tired of the NBA trying to do this position by position. Top 15 players regardless. Make it happen. Especially when you you know have certain players whose contracts are structured around their admission in or omission out of all NBA teams. I think it's ridiculous to suggest otherwise that, oh, we need to have just guard forward center. No, top five, first team, five through ten, second team, ten through fifteen, thirteen. So anyways, going back to that, you had that for first team. Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. Second team, Chris Paul and Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Joel Embiid. Uh, and honestly, I, I think that's just about right to me. Uh, in terms of Julius Randle had a great year. LeBron James, people want to kind of quibble over the games he played. And mind you, he did miss a lot of games. But when he did play, he was in conversation for MVP. Okay? For me, quality over quantity when it's up to that level, baby. Like, it don't even really matter at that point. If you play 40 games, but you were in conversation for MVP before you get injured, you were one of the top 15 players. Because several other players on the list were not on the list for MVP. They just weren't. And this is a day and age when anybody could be lobbied to be MVP. LeBron James played well when he did. He was injured, but a sizable amount of the injury was. He played just enough games to me, and he did at more than a high enough level for me to not have a problem with him being on the second team. So that's the second team there again. Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, Joel Embiid. With Embiid, Lillard, and Paul, along with Randle, I don't really think there's a case to argue about. Those guys should have made it at their respective positions. Third team's interesting. Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert was cool. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Paul George I kind of have issues with. Bradley Beal, cool, and Kyrie, I mean, injuries, but yikes. But, I mean, Jason Tatum missed out the cut. I would have put him over Jimmy Butler. Ben Simmons missed the cut. I don't know. Jimmy Butler had a good year, but I didn't think he was, like, that great. It was just, like, a weird year for him. Russell Westbrook missed the cut, mind you. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan, so I have to say it. Like I said on Twitter, it's part of my brand. But he did have a triple-double this season. Doesn't matter. It wasn't efficient. When Kyrie played, Kyrie played better. So, boom. that That's completely true. I'm not... I'm just putting it out there. Uh, Pascal Siakam was the lone second-team finish from last season to miss out entirely this time around. So, that was interesting. But, uh, for guys like Anthony Davis, James Harden, Pascal Siakam, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, and Russell Westbrook, they all made it last year in All-NBA. They all missed it this year. Randall, Irving, George, Curry, Beal, and Embiid were their replacements this year, which was really interesting. Uh, Randall and Beal were the only first-time honorees on this squad. Meanwhile, you had guys like LeBron, who was on for 17 times. as the 17th time, even though it was only his third, second team ever. And James and Paul being the two oldest to be on the All-NBA teams at age 36 apiece. Kind of crazy to me. Another thing that was kind of funny, and this is a shout-out to Sam, Sam Quinn of uh, CBS Sports on this, but basically, six players... Or not six players, I'm sorry. The Clippers had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on, right, from the same team. The remaining 13 selections were from 13 different teams. And a lot of that was because of injuries, because, of course, Brooklyn had knocks on James Harden and Kevin Durant, so that really just left Kyrie Irving. Meanwhile, the Lakers had a knock on Anthony Davis, who had more injury, you know, 
games missed than LeBron. So that knocked those two. But that would have made it more interesting. But the fact that there was so many different people in there, really kind of cool. That was really kind of cool. Uh, two players who should be really great for the selections, uh, Luka Doncic, who now is eligible for a Rose Rule rookie extension, which thanks to his All-NBA selection means he can earn up to 30% of the cap when his new deal kicks in for the 2022-2023 season. Meanwhile, Joel Embiid, although he's in an older bracket, is eligible for 35% of the cap, and he also earns Supermax eligibility by making an All-NBA team as well. If he signs an extension this offseason, it would kick in for the 2023-2024 season. So that is pretty cool for both of them to get their money for being on the team, for for making the team, the All-NBA team. Uh, One guy who missed the cut for that and unfortunately lost some money too, Jason Tatum. And while we're at it, Donovan Mitchell as well. They lost money because they were not on the team, which is kind of crazy. I mean, Jason Tatum had more points, rebounds, steals, blocks, and fewer turnovers than Paul George. And he had more points, rebounds, and blocks than Jimmy Butler, while also shooting better from both the three-point line and the free throw line. While Donovan Mitchell scored more than both George and Butler, and just completely blew Butler out the water as a three-point shooter, plus, I mean... What happened to the best player on the best team rule? Just saying. Because of those knocks not being on, if Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell had hit that rookie extension, um, they would have been uh, eligible for an additional $33 million. Because they didn't. They will stay at 25% of the cap. And how that works is this. When a player signs a rookie extension, they're eligible to make 30% of the cap in the first year of the deal with the annual raisers basically starting from that that starting point if they make an all-NBA team in the year prior to the start of the deal in two of the previous three seasons. So if you prove that, hey, you're one of the top 15 year players in the league for two years straight, then you are eligible for 30% of the cap, which makes sense. You prove that you're one of those guys, you can get a bigger piece of the pie. Tatum made third team all-NBA last season, but he didn't do it in his rookie season. So this year would have been the big one. Mitchell never made it. Had either of those made an All-NBA season, this extension that they would have signed would have jumped up to $196 million over four years. Now, they're still making a cool $163 million or just about there, but that's what's crazy. Also, think about that. That's between 32 and $33 million that they will not see over four years for not being selected. Now, I'm not really crying over them because that's a lot of money. I can't even get to a match of the count. 1 million, much less 2 million, 14 million, 44 million, 100 million, 160 million. I'm not even on that wavelength, but I'm just saying that's a lot. And what makes it crazy is that for Jason Tatum, it was even stupider. A lot of this comes down to voters and voters' opinion. I don't like my money being in the hands of people who have to vote for it. You know, it, I just, I don't. A lot of people, you have a, a, a Ramona Shelbourne who may vote more on narrative. You have. Brian Windhorst, who may just vote more on LeBron. You have all these people with their own agendas and and slants, and that can affect your money. Or, like Jason Tatum, you could just be eligible as a guard and a forward and have more votes than Kyrie in one category, but because you were slotted as a forward and not a guard, you didn't get the money that you could have gotten over one player because you were eligible for both, but you were voted in as one. What the heck does that even mean? I explained it. I don't even know what I just said. Shout out to um, Adam Himmelsbach for that one, at Adam Himmelsbach on Twitter. Like, what? I just I just don't get that. I just don't get that. And I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, other players missed out, could have had it. De'Aaron Fox could have had it, not a chance. Bam Adebayo could have had it, not a chance. But I just think it is kind of weird how players can be robbed over just the oddest of technicalities and the weirdest of, um, what is the word? Uh, I, I'm looking for, like, uh, I can't even think about it. Like, the weirdest of experience. Like, uh, not, oh, yeah, it's not coming to me. But anyway, the fact that <laughs> people can lose their money over just the, the most petite of things. Okay, the more I try to describe it, the farther away I go from what I'm trying to say. So, we're just going to drop it. Bottom line, it's messed up. The system needs to change. NBA needs to reform it. Your cowards need to drop positions. Go positionless like the NBA on the court has for, oh, I don't know, about three years now. Just make it happen. I'm not sure what we're doing right now with this whole, um, this whole just meandering, meandering and, and posturing over what position this person plays and whatever and whatever. Uh. Anyway, NBA announced that from June 21st to June 27th in Chicago, 69 players will be participating in the 2021 Microsoft Surface Draft Combine. This is an important step in the draft process for these NBA prospects. You know, this is an important step in the draft process. Excuse me. These players will be doing five on fives. They'll be interviewing with NBA teams. They'll be doing strength and agility drills. And you can usually see this late night at like three in the morning on ESPN2 and like ESPNU. Um, and actually, to be just completely accurate, ESPN2 will be airing on the 24th of June and ESPNU will be airing on the 25th of June. They'll be providing coverage of the five on five games from three to seven Eastern time each day. Uh, but you have a bunch of expected attendees who are going to be there, all trying to kind of, you know, work their way in and make some noise. You know, you have guys like Scotty Barnes, that'll be there, um, <clears throat> David Duke. I mean, guys that we're going to talk about more in the draft. I actually have a cool guest coming on in a couple of days to kind of talk about some of these draft prospects. But it should be interesting to see. And it really just shows you that the draft is, is, is coming up. It's in full swing here. We got the lottery literally next Tuesday. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and it's going to be exciting to kind of see where these players go. It's one of the more exciting parts of the year. I'm a draft guy in wanting to kind of see all the work that people have done to scout them because I'm not a scout, but I do think it's intriguing and I love draft night. It's just something so electric and exciting about sitting there the entire time, watching if any trades might happen, seeing the just horrible player comps and just having a lot of fun with it. That's something I'm looking forward to. All right, tonight on TNT, doubleheader. Got both t- go both games, both series tied 2-2. It's going to be Atlanta versus Philadelphia at 7.30. And then we got the Clippers versus the Jazz at 10, Eastern time. Uh, you know what? James Harden went and played, and all of a sudden, word comes that Mike Conley is questionable for Game 5 in Utah. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Joel Embiid might have a bounce-back game after shooting 4 of 20 in Game 4. So we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, maybe Trey Young will crack the Ben Simmons code. Maybe he won't. Either way, it'll be important to see. And if the Hawks can find any semblance of a consistent three-point stroke because they haven't had it over the last couple of games. But that's what I'll be looking forward to. That should be exciting for all of us. I mean, come on. We're not going to have a lot more of these. After this Western Conference Finals, and then we're looking at the Finals in just long days. I am not excited for the offseason after the first three weeks. I'm just not. I'm just not. It's it's going to be rough. Um, birthdays? Only here we have one. Happy birthday to Rick Adelman. Played seven years in the NBA. Coached for a lot longer. He is 75 the dude had himself just an absolute classic career coaching in terms of, you know, making it to the finals with the Trailblazers a couple times, helming some really cool Kings teams in the early 2000s. He even kind of was, you know, around for the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, 
as short as seven years ago. So, shout out to Rick Adelman, just a legend. He was inducted as a coach this past year to the Hall of Fame, and now he turns 75. He made his NBA debut October 17th, 1968. Jeez Louise. I don't even know who won the championship that year. Oh, the Celtics. They beat the Lakers. Boom. So I keep myself sharp. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Let me let me fact check live on the air because that's what Round Ball Ramble does. And did I get it? Yes, I did. Celtics beat them. Okay, cool. Awesome. Had to make sure. As a Lakers fan, not cool, but I just had to know my knowledge. But you know what? After I get myself that big old gratuitous bat, pat on the back, I'm going to announce that's the end of Round Ball Ramble for tonight. <laughs> or this morning, rather. I apologize. You know where to find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Make sure to check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBallTweets, online hoop-ball.com. And with that, y'all, enjoy y'all Wednesday. I am frosty, y'all. Stay frosty. And I will talk to y'all tomorrow. <laughs> All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.